Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Here's your host, Alex Garrett. Welcome inside to Alex Garrett Podcasting. As we see the aftermath of that devastating Christmas Day car bombing in downtown Nashville as we see COVID vaccines coming across to more uh, people and more citizens uh, there's got to be hope on the horizon right and we're going to get into this whole theory that my next guest has about the Kentucky Derby and the presidential election but I first want to talk to Margaret Delaney she's a actually playwright and someone who moved from New York City to Pennsylvania and wrote about all of this in her new memoir, The Parables of Sunlight. And by the way, my stepdad, Victor Furman, had this great lady on his podcast, Destination Unlimited, Margaret Delaney. Uh, Margaret, I know you got a new book out and, and I know you have this theory about the horse racing and the Kentucky Derby. Oh my gosh, so many things to start out. But first of all, tell us a little about you and a little bit about Listen Well, because I'm very fascinated about your story from New York to Pennsylvania. Okay. Well, I did move to New York to um, pursue the theater. I was trained in the theater and then um, acted for a while and then started writing plays. And um, in about 94, um, I thought, I'm just not, I'm not satisfied. I want to, I've always wanted to live in the country. I was born in Louisville, Kentucky, outside of the city. And I thought, I want to get back. And my husband and I, my husband was also in the performing arts. He was a, he is a musician. And we decided to move to Bucks County, Pennsylvania. He converted our old barn into a recording studio and did more producing. And he produced with, um, he was, he started uh, Palmetto Jazz, which um, has a lot of great jazz artists on the album. And they would come out and record and stay with us. And it was a fun life. But then I thought, I want to get back to my writing. And so I started writing um, essays that aren't faith. That's not really the right word. It's sort of spiritually, ethically based. And it's, um, and they were, I, I was getting a great pile of them in my office. I would occasionally send them out. But then I thought one day I was in my backyard and I was staring at the barn and I thought, hey, I have a recording studio in my backyard. Why don't I record these essays? They're only about 10 minutes and offer them on a website. And so I started listenwell.org. Um, and ever since, I've been just so happy with it. It's been 11 years. Um, my audience continues to grow organically friend to friend and 
that's a lovely thing I hear from people. I love hearing from people. And then I have um, two books well, uh, and, that have grown up. And Margaret, one of the books yeah. that is out now is The Parables of Sunlight, and we'll get to that in a minute. It's a memoir about your journey. But when you say barn, and we just celebrated Christmas, you know, this is Christmas weekend, <laughs> I've got to say, um, do you think God's hands were in your you and your husband's will to turn that barn into a studio. I mean, it, it just feels like an interesting connection there. I feel so led to do this. And even the, um, all the training I did as an actor has made it possible for me to be a spoken word artist, if you want to call me that. Um, you know, just being able to speak the words comfortably it took a lot. It does take training, even though it seems um, with most people who read their own stuff, it can it can seem effortless, but it it, it takes a lot of effort. And I've um, definitely it took me a while to get used to it. It's a very strange thing. But yes, I'm just I just felt led all along and that the writing of plays was more just about writing in general. And now um, my nonfiction is so so satisfying to me. I feel when I look bad, back that I've been led all along. So you're right. <laughs> it, very cool. Uh, I, you know, acting versus voice acting. Uh, do you have any advice for those out there that do want to maybe still keep alive the radio dramas or do the voice acting? I, I have to imagine acting versus voice acting. There is a difference there. I so wish they would get back to radio drama. Um, and I'm not quite in that generation. I'm a little younger. But I know that um, people a little older than I who used to sit around the radio and listen to stories um, just miss it terribly. It's it's not a podcast. It's a, it's a very different sort of thing, isn't it? It's radio drama and... Yes, I wish someone would start a whole station of it. But you would say That's your work it. as a voice actor is not toward that. It's more of a non-fictional uh, basis that yeah, you record with. These are 10-minute um, sort of thought pieces written um, that just once a month, I post one 10-minute um, essay every month recorded. My husband puts a little music around it. And, um, yeah, and even that, you know, it's hard to carve out 10 minutes a month. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it would be uh, the whole idea of radio drama. Maybe I'll go into that eventually. <laughs> maybe that's where I'm going. I'm I don't know if you feel the same, but whenever I podcast, I feel like a load is off my shoulders. Like I've got my brain out there and my thoughts out there. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like... What you're doing is cathartic. In addition to helping people, it's got to feel somewhat catharsis, right, for you? Yes, and writing is cathartic um, for me. But absolutely, you need that. Um, you need you need that third step, I suppose, the thinking and then the writing, or in your case, just the thinking and the the reaching out, and then finally the audience. And they are. That's what it's all about. Is Connecting with people. Yes, now, it's cathartic. I've got to ask: Do the do the do the do are there animals on your farm? Do they come to the barn? Do they 
are they sitting with you as you because i know you do have animals on the farm so do they sit with you as you record so, um yeah so my book is about a horse um on a on a farm around the corner which we um we have a little sort of farmette and then a farm around the corner um which we had for 20 years we're about to sell it but um yeah i mean I'm, <laughs> my home is filled with animals which is wonderful wonderful gift and that's something that you can do in the country that you it's tough to do in the city it's tough to have a dog in the city even though it's a joy it's just um city dog owners work so hard <laughs> that's um, so true they do know. to avoid fines firstly and then to make sure you know that everything's <laughs> cleaned up it's it's it is it is work and of course the dog runs are great um when you were in yeah. the city where did you guys live and did, did you have a dog here, and, and where did you guys take your your animals when you were in New York? We had a dog in the village, in the West Village, and we went to the um, Washington Square dog run for uh, the first year. And then that dog convinced us to move out of the city. <laughs> Why don't you just make the leap <laughs> to the country? That's that what we did. That's pretty cool. Uh, how did your dog convince you to make the leap? Now I'm curious. I think she she was so full of energy and so tough to wear out, you know, and puppies are in general, but she's a lab and woof. Um, and so, yeah, we, um, that's, we just thought, let's get back to my roots and sort of my husband, he's from Tennessee. He, he was more in the country than the city. So it felt right. But you were raised in, in Manhattan, no. Yes, I was, but I still feel like I, I love the um, outer borough, the sort of suburban feel. There's just something about escaping the hustle and bustle to Queens um, that I that I really mm-hmm. cherish and I, I love. Um, but now that you're in Pennsylvania, you've been there for a while now, during this pandemic, you see what's happened to the city. What's your thoughts on New York? I mean, is it... Is it heartbreaking? Is it relieving you're not here? What what goes through your feelings as you see what's going on during this pandemic in, in the city? And to, to right. actors, as you are a playwriter. Um, I know. And we have a lot of friends in the performing arts that are just, you know, everything is dead still. Uh, it's more heartbreaking than anything. It just, the um, beginning of the pandemic when it was so hard on New York. It just, I have a very, um, my closest friend lives there. And so we talk, we still talk every day. (laughs) It it just breaks my heart, but I I know it's better now. And I totally understand why she stuck it, stuck it out there that it's, um, there is a spirit in New York of, and it came out after 9-11, and it's come out now. It's just, they love, they they know how to love one another through these hard times. Everybody thinks of New York as being full of a bunch of cranky people. It's not at all true. It's not. I mean, people hold the door for you here in New York. You know what I mean? We, we have that yeah. kind of kindness here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. I know that. Well, your role, obviously, with ListenWell.org probably boosted people's energy during this pandemic. Did you find your voice recordings change from one year to from last year to this year and the tone sort of more of a 
hopeful tone or, or did how did you shift your messaging as you saw the pandemic unfold and i'm sure you got listenership out of this uh, you know in a way because people wanted hope and they were looking for hope and i'm sure they came to listen well for hope yeah i think um I, i've been steadily hopeful because i i just am in general i do believe in the progress of mankind and the progress of life on earth i know it's creepy slow but i think we are always becoming slightly more enlightened and maybe we will come to a time when there's a tipping point and it will start to be an avalanche i'm not sure i think it's i i'm more into the progress of each individual soul than the masses because we don't change by masses we change by individuals and this pandemic will mean something to every something very different to every single person but the fact that it's happening to all of us is profound um and i think a profound chance to really take a look at our lives and what what we want to what we want to take out of this time because any pause any time you get sick or you know you are forced to pause um is is terribly significant i think margaret anyway, it's, right. it's no it's not lost on me either that we are all on this even playing field really for the first time in my lifetime i don't ever remember everybody kind of just grounded and i think god has grounded maybe you can agree or not that god's grounded us to fight this virus together has he not oh i absolutely agree with you yes it's a profound time and also the fact that we are in the states going through it with such poor guidance you know from our leaders so that um now that we have to depend on one another in ways you know also that we well i i don't think we can point the finger at anybody because it's a pandemic which is very nice <laughs> because it's happening globally but it's um it's certainly been exacerbated and created more anxiety in the states because of the way it's been handled but that allows us opportunities to have heroes and to to reach out to each other and i always think that these healthcare heroes have been heroes beyond the pandemic it's just uh you know we need our nursing and doctors you know every year it's just they've been highlighted more this year rightfully so it's just you know they're there always and i think it's an important reminder to, to tell people that now parables of sunlight you you have this memoir out um how can people find uplift in this book through the pandemic and uh is it any you know is it different than the than the voice work that you do how what's the differences what's the similarities between your writing and, and your voice work i think um it's a very um it, it, the book revolves around some of the themes that i um i study on my listenwell.org site but um but it just takes it a few steps further um 
I'd say that that team is hope and perseverance and that hope is, it's nothing if you don't stand behind it and, and move with it. You know, hope is nothing without perseverance and good things take time. And this is the story revolves around my horse who is, very badly injured and I um and it was a life and death struggle for months and months um and um I just I learned so much from it from having to fight for her life um so that's it's it's the struggle and finally um hope prevails <laughs> and she does come back to us, but um, it's, hopefully the book is um, a journey that will make the reader um, think about perseverance and, and fighting for what they believe in, and etc. I will say horses are unique animals, and I, I mean, it's just the, the loving care you have talk about that i mean you said you're from louisville but uh, obviously beyond yeah. that you you've gained a love for horses probably because of the environment but is there more to that like what what got you hooked on horses was it just because you were in louisville or was there more to it <laughs> my mother um when when she got divorced i think in order to entertain us got us some old farm horses in kentucky um which my brother and sister and I started out riding and I was the only one that continued because I just loved them. And then I didn't ride for years and years until um, we bought this farm around the corner and this horse just landed on the farm and sort of in my lap. And I took her on reluctantly because a horse can live to be 40. And and I wouldn't want to take on an animal if I wasn't going to see that animal through their life. Um, so it was just this amazing journey of responsibility and love. And yes, you're right. Horses are, it's hard to explain how powerful they are and how powerfully you can love a horse. I heard of a woman who who had a lot of animals, dogs, cats, and when her horse died, it nearly flattened her, whereas she's been able to deal with the other one's leaving her but and I, I wondered at that and thought oh gosh really a horse but now I get it <laughs> I don't know what it is they're they're magnificent and um, profoundly what is the word well they, they get into your into your heart like nothing else well, and it's the way they look at you, right? So if a horse looks at you a certain way, you just know they are looking inside. It's just, it's... Um, yeah. And how, you know. I, well, I I am around, uh, speaking of the Derby, I had known the trainer of Big Brown, which I know is featured in in this theory. Uh, yeah. I believe it was Rick Dutra. You know, I've known him. I know Pletcher. I know Zito through Belmont Park. And... Oh. Oh, okay. And one thing I could never understand 
is why these guys are always yelling at the horses or even I've seen them bang on the windows. The horses are freaked out. Like people don't understand. These are gentle creatures. They may run like lightning, but they are really gentle. And I think that message uh, needs to come through as well. Oh, yeah. I stress that in my book because my horse was really, um, there's a wonderful horse trainer called Buck Buchanan, and he says you can scare a horse for life. And my horse is scared for life. She is so anxious and nervous all the time. Um, And it just won't go away. I mean, even as much as we, you know, creep and crawl around her and never raise an arm or never make a loud noise. She, she just is rattled from the track. And, you know, that's, that's something that I hope eventually will go away in our culture, horse racing. Well, Um, it is, it's, it's a debate. I actually saw protesters out at the track um, last year I know mm-hmm. in my heart that the horses want to run, but I also see that side of it as well, that side of, well, let them run naturally then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but we're all um, on planet Earth and that still, and there's things that aren't perfect. So, <laughs> And there's a lot of love between trainers and horses and jockeys. And jockeys, and horses, yep. And, I, I yeah, see that too. Definitely. I see that too. So they're they're so you kind of see both sides of this, and obviously, you see it to the point where you still follow the races, even if you hope one day it may not. You still follow them. So let's get into this. Yeah. Twenty twelve Big Brown. Uh, yeah, twenty twelve Big Brown. Just give us your theory. What what do you think is the relation between <laughs> the Kentucky Derby and the year's presidential election? All right. So I'm going to um, give you the sort of brief version of um, what got me into it. Um, I was actually into um, trying to predict the the outcome of the November election by the the name of the horse that won the Derby, even before Big Brown won the Derby the year that Obama won the election. The Derby is run in May. And then, as you know, the Belmont and the Preakness are after that. Um, and so in 2008 was Big Brown when Obama won. When he won his second term in 2012, the horse's name was I'll Have Another uh, term. <laughs> well, but I'll Have Another. In 2015, as our um, current president was on the rise, the name um, of the horse that won in 2015 was American Pharaoh. And I want to stop you right there. Mm-hmm. That is the first horse in about 30-plus years that won the Triple Crown. Yes. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. And then in 2016, there was a horse um, in the field named Exaggerator. And we all know who that is. And I was very um, relieved to see him only place in the Derby. Um, but he went on to win the next two races of the Triple Crown, um, which, you know, relates to Hillary winning, you know, the popular vote and Trump winning the um, election. And so um, in 2018, when the Democrats took back the Congress, 
the horse's name was Justify. I thought we were justified there. In 2019, the horse, um, the horse that actually caught, do you remember the last year's um, race in 2019, the horse that finished first was Maximum Security. Yes. Yep. But he was taken down because his jockey cheated. Um, and then the horse that ended up winning the um, race was Country Home. Then 2020 comes along, and um, and the uh, Derby's all out of whack. They can't run it in May, but they um, they run. Did they run the Preakness first? Wait, I wrote this. Well, they did the Belmont, and then they did the Kentucky, and then the final one, I believe, was the Preakness. Was the Preakness? Right, right. You're right. Okay. So the horse that won the Belmont was Tis the Law, which will come into play, you know, in the fall. <laughs> um, and then the winner of the Derby, which was run in, I think it was September, right, um, was authentic. And I believe that absolutely pointed to Biden winning. He is he is authentic. Wow. Um that's pretty. And, that's pretty incredible. By the way, uh, tis a law. Barkley tag and New York bread. So that want to shout out New York there for that one. <laughs> Good. So then finally, um, the third was the Preakness, and um, the the horse that won the race was actually a filly. It's kind of immaterial what her name was. Swiss Skydiver was her name, but um, she. She was one of the rare fillies to, you know, run in any of these races. And then, but then the second one was authentic. Um, the sort of, I think of Joe backing up Kamala. Um, and so, um, so looking back at 2019 with the, um, the effort on the jockey to cheat to win the Derby was um, stopped, and um, the judges, not, you know, elected not to not to let the horse win, and, and just as the uh, judges in the, across the country have elected not to um, listen to this voter fraud. Um, Nonsense. <laughs> well, it is. It, there, I had made that point that, you know, some may say, well, these judges are scared. I think they really are upholding the law of the land by doing, by not, you know, looking into this. It's just, it, it's common sense to think that rather than think they're, you know, being paid or bribed. I, I can't see that. <laughs> no, no. And all of them? No. Um, yeah, no, I, I, uh, it's been very satisfying just seeing that play out. There's still, tis the law, there's still law that uh, rules. Right. And, uh, you know, Supreme Court also a big, a big knockdown there, if you think about it. Yeah. Now, if you did not have the experience with your horse, would you have thought about <laughs> this or, or what? Yeah, I think I would have because... Um, 
I was even back back in the Bush years trying to figure out um, whether Kerry was going to win against, you know, Bush for a second term. And I remember that horse's name was Smarty Jones. And I thought, can I really twist this into meaning something? (laughs) But then it wasn't until Big Brown came around, you know, to win that for um and then point to Obama. But I thought, okay, okay, now the Kentucky Derby theory is really coming, you know, sort of sharpening and um, getting more exciting for me. And now I have a lot of friends who um, follow it. Well, let me ask you this, because when I think of that, when I think of all of this and the Kentucky Derby, we all remember the heartthrob that was Barbaro. We remember the story. Yeah. Uh, Edgar oh, Prado, God. an amazing jockey, by the way. Great man, too, if you had a chance to meet him. But mm-hmm. um, but Barbaro himself really captured the whole country. Um, were yeah. your, was that radar on for what that meant? Like, what did you have any th- feelings about that? Like, oh, this is what it means for the country. Was there, was there any thought you put to oh. that? You know what? I wasn't I wasn't savvy enough then. Do you remember what year that was? It was two thousand six and we were about midterm of the next midway of Bush's oh. second term, um, where the war right. was really beating us down a little bit, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And uh well then a year later came the recession. It's kind of interesting now that you think of it. But yeah, that Barbaro story captured the whole nation for for his lifetime. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, the Barbaro story was something that I I followed even more, after, well, after my horse was kicked and so badly injured. Um, because I'm in Barbaro territory, the, the allopathic vet that um, really wanted to put my horse down um, said, well, you might. You know, you might consider surgery. And um, actually, he talked to the Barbaro surgeon. The, um, of course, Barbaro ended up dying. But um, that surgeon actually said, no, I wouldn't operate on that horse. She, she will, it will probably kill her. And this, operations for horses are just awful, awful. They don't understand. They try to stand up right away. They can often break the leg again. It's just the chances of them actually pulling through a surgery that major is just um, very slight. And I read, I, I really related to the Barbara woman, um, the, the woman, the wife, and I think her name was Margaret. Anyway, she was you know, with that horse every day, she was so involved and so heartbroken when he died. But I think she was going through a lot of the same things that thoughts that I was going through because I do not like to keep an animal on the earth that is suffering. I'm all for helping them into the next world. I believe in the next world. I believe I will see them again. (laughs) And so it's not it's not that great a hardship for me to see an animal cross over because I, I just believe they're, you know, they're better off. And I think, you know, the Barbara couple had to come to that conclusion. Well, 1000%. And by the way, I, I agree with you that 
Um, when our dog Kismet, I don't know if my stepdad talked about this, but when our dog Kismet was like on her last legs breathing, we, we knew. And it was, I honestly cried for five minutes. Then I just knew, you know what? She's not suffering anymore. And I was more grateful for that than, yeah. than seeing her. You know, I was more grateful that she was able to cross over peacefully than anything else. That was what I was really that day, like yeah. three years ago. Uh, yeah. Three years ago already. That's time's flying. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, well, it's your final gift to them. You know, yes. You know, I think for any horse racing, uh, av- you know, a fan or whatever you want to say, it is traumatizing mm-hmm. still to see them bring out the tent when they have to get a horse that's oh, down yeah. on the track. I mean, have you seen that in person? What What are your feelings whenever you do see that, if you do? I have seen it, yeah. And I've also... Um, well, when I'm at the track, of course, it makes me think, is this, is this right? And, um, you know, it's been happening in more, in, in bigger arenas, hasn't it? Like bigger races. Santa Anita had at least 230 or more. Like it was bad last year. Yes. Isn't that interesting? And I think it's, it's a way of saying, look at this, look at this. It is, it's ethical, um, and also, there are many horses that sort of. Actually, there are many, many thoroughbreds that are are um, adopted by people who love, love, love them the rest of their life. So that's a that's a good part of the story. But yeah, those tents going up. I've also walked quite a few horses on our farm to their um, to their la- their last moments when a vet comes to put them down. So it's a very peaceful scene, but often the owners can't be there. And I usually volunteer because I feel like it's the right thing to do. And I can be there. You know, Um, when you talk about horse owners and horse trainers, there is this kind of feeling, Oh, they're heartless. Look at them running that. But I really don't think they're heartless. What What do you think? Would you agree that no. they, they have a heart and, um, and, and that should be explained too. Mm-hmm. I, I think. I do too. I just met a jockey, um, a couple of weeks ago and I liked him so much and he loves horses, loves them. And I thought, you know, oh, there's so many sides to this issue. I don't know. I don't know the answer. It, you know, there's there's probably a lot of ways, like uh, racing a horse too young when they're when their bones aren't even formed. There's a lot of that that could be changed to make it a kinder um, atmosphere and a quieter. You know, they could do a lot to make it more ethical. Well, I, I feel like we've gone down the horse racing path, and I, I don't want to lose the other. <laughs> audience that may not be horse racing enthusiasts. So how does this book encompass for everybody to come to the table and read Parables in the Sunshine? Parables of Sunlight. Um, I think the universal theme of hope and perseverance, the courage that it takes to sort of to um, move toward a goal that could be 30 years in coming to fruition. I know my own writing um, really didn't start to blossom for about 20, 
21 years, <laughs> which, you know, had someone said that to me when I picked up the first pencil, I think I wouldn't have picked it up. Um, but, I, you know, they, people do amazing things, and it usually um, takes a lot of courage. But we are courageous. We are, and um, as my dad pointed out, you know, the only thing we know how to do is move forward. We can't sit back and be locked down. We have to be naturally moving forward, and I applaud those that are able to do it safely. That That's that's all I'm asking for, and I'm sure you are too, that people do move around but do it safely. Um, yeah. One, mm-hmm. one other thought, as we talk about hope and, you know, restoring positivity and, and whatnot, we really are down to the last week in 2020, is it wrong to hold that hope for the rest of 2020? Is that kind of far-fetched, or is there still some here? Oh, I think there is. Such a, wasn't it um, Mr. Rogers, whose mother used to say whenever a tragedy came up on the television or whatever, and young Mr. Rogers was upset, um, and she would say, look for the heroes. <laughs> so... We have so many examples of that. We have to stop. I mean, I think it is up to us to stop that we should drive the media, that the consumer should drive the media by not being so fascinated with the dark side, to be more taken with the light. You know, I'm going to pull that sound by and tag every news network out there because I think, you know, it's one person for a podcast, but when you have guests saying that, and, you know, it, it's true, we need to have the media do that. So I love that line. Hmm. Yeah, I have friends who say, oh, we'll never be rid of him. Oh, we'll never, not, you know. And I think, well, yes, we will, but it's a, it's like the the song, let there be peace on earth, but let it begin with me. All right, I'm not going to watch it. You know, I'm not going to follow that storyline anymore. And then if we all, we could reach a tipping point and we won't have to follow it. And one of the things that I'm hoping for, and I think you might be too, is getting rid of apathy and getting involved, meaning we don't just look at the TV, we do something to fix it in our own neighborhoods. As you say, leadership all over is a little messed up, so it's up to us. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. And I think many of us have been awakened in the past four years. There's there's a great groundswell of um, energy and those who really want to make a difference. I think we're I think we're on a great footing right now. This may sound like a wild question, but for those who are in acting and for those who may be still pursuing the dream, even if it's in hiatus right now, can they pull your writings, uh, you know, your playwritings from listen, uh, listenwell.com? Sorry about that. But yeah. Um, oh, so um, I have two published plays. Um, and you can go to Amazon and look up Margaret Dulaney. It's a D U L A N E Y. So, um, and so, yeah, you can look at those two plays. <laughs> anything for for writing for reading during this time and i'm sure your plays are just as encouraging as these books that's listenwell.org listenwell.org 
Margaret Delaney, this has been a real pleasure. And as your journey continues, please come back and let us know what's next on the uh, on the farm, as they say, or, or however you want to say it. <laughs> that's, that's nice. Yes, I will. I love talking to you, Alex. I love talking to you. This was great. And uh, thanks again to my stepdad, Victor Furman, who was at Destination Unlimited, for linking us up. I'm Alex Garrett, and we're always adapting. Come adapt with us each and every day. Take care. Thank you so much. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.